Hi there, this is Alana Terry, and you're listening to the Successful Writer Podcast, and I am here with Dave Chesson from Kindlepreneur. How's it going, Dave? Not too bad. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, really glad that you got to join us and chat. We're excited to hear about one of your new offerings for authors with formatting and things, and really just pick your brain about where the publishing industry has been and where it's going. So do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, both yourself and Kindlepreneur for people who aren't familiar with you? Sure. Well, uh, I grew up uh, with dyslexia, and so I've never believed myself to be an incredible writer. You know, you go Mm. through school and you struggle the most and you just kind of label yourself as that person. But later in life, though, that doesn't mean that your desire or dream to write just goes away. Uh, Instead, though, I decided that for someone like me, I wanted to understand a bit more about the market. I can't just sit down and write any book that I want and kind of see results because I'm not Ernest Hemingway. I can't make shoelaces look cool or sound cool or anything (laughs) like that. So for me, I started to look at Amazon. I asked myself, why does it do what it does? Why does Amazon show this book when I search for this? Why is it that they put this button here and that sort of thing? And so for me, this gave me a lot of deep insight into the market as well as to shoppers and their habits. From Mm -hmm. there, I started to record this kind of data and I started to create kindlepreneur.com, a website that teaches advanced book marketing. Uh, From there, my books have done incredibly well. I've also been a a consultant to multiple uh, best-selling authors in the New York Times and to major publishing companies since. And my favorite is is that Amazon's even quoted in saying that learn from Kindlepreneur to uh, optimize your books for more sales, which coming from Amazon itself has always been like a real... Uh, joy. They're not exactly the most vocal mm-hmm, of sure. organizations. So right. especially it, with people mining their data. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or, uh-huh. you know, the fact is Amazon doesn't directly say how things work. Right. Um, and so this has left, left a lot of people to say, well, how would you know? And I've always, I've come from a science background. Uh, I was a nuclear engineer. And so I designed all these tests and I mm-hmm. recorded data to be able to show that this is what happens whether or not that's what Amazon's intending to do, but this is what actually happens. And I think that was one of the biggest things that gave me sort of a unique stance in in the marketing world and has been one of the things that that has attracted major publishing companies to hiring me to help them in kind of understanding the digital age and the importance of marketing books on stores like Amazon. Even if they don't like Amazon, they still understand they have to work with them. So that's where I'm at today. I love that. That's really neat. And what I see what you do and what Kindlepreneur does, it's kind of an intersection of you've got the the book side of things, you've got the data side of things, you've got the business side of things, and then interspersed in there, you've got a lot of computer backgrounds. So it doesn't surprise me that you've come from such a science background. I was curious about that. Yeah, it's... um. I wouldn't say I was naturally a science person, though. I, I, rem- I will be the first to tell you that I was not the best nuclear engineer. I, I enjoy kind of shooting from the hip, and that's not exactly uh-huh. how, you know, nuclear engineering <laughs> should be done. Um, but right. that being said, though, is that it? I do have a deep root in not just theorizing, but finding ways to test an idea um, and then using that information to give concrete you know, data. I, I, there was a lot of people who have speculation and it's led authors down the wrong path. I also like to use the data to make decisions on how to best organize things, such as your book description. Um, even mm-hmm. the way we lay out a book cover um, is very important and very strategic. And it's, it's not just from a what looks good or artistic. It's also what connects with the shopper. Um, just a little blurb into this. I know this is not the focus on what we're talking about, but um, 
a lot of authors make the mistake of saying my book is unique and I'm going to make this unique book cover. Mm-hmm. I, that's one of the, I would, if I were to list Cardinal sins, that'd be one of them. And the reason right. for this is not to cut out an author's, uh, you know, uh, art because that's right. what we do here. We're, but here's the thing when shoppers are looking for a book, especially in fiction, they understand what their kind of book looks like. And so they're mm-hmm. using it as a familiar thing and that they're expecting that, you know, generally speaking, there's going to be a, fi- a female figure with, you know, who's looking away and that's, you know, and the background shows the kind of genre and the plot right. and all of this, you know, that there's certain colors, there are certain ways you lay out the title. And if they don't see that, they don't connect it with their kind of book, they're going to pass on because they just, mm-hmm. they don't think it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, people I re- look for the familiar for sure. Exactly. And uh, I remember this is best said, I was working with Orson Scott Card, who's actually one of my favorite science fiction writers. Uh, so it was cool. a real, real honor to work with him. Man. For sure. And he said, you know, it's funny is that that was one of the first things he learned in the publishing industry. He wrote Ender's Game, which uh, for those of you who don't know, is like an uber famous Hugo and Nebula award-winning book. It's phenomenal. It was turned into a movie. Um, <laughs> he has some thoughts on the movie, but I can't say that here. But <laughs> um, he said that when the publisher first came to him with his cover and uh, he looked at it and he goes, well, that's not Ender. And they're like, mm-hmm. it doesn't know that you're, you're missing the point. It's not supposed right. to be. And he goes, yeah, but I have no scene in the entire book that shows that. And they're like, yep. But what is that? He goes, well, that's a spaceship, a little spaceship coming out of a big spaceship. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And he was like floored. He was mad. He was like, but we're lying to them. Mm -hmm. They're thinking it's this. He's like, no, no, no. All we need people to do is look at that cover and know that it's a sci-fi military book. Yeah, exactly. And I started laughing when he said this, because I, and then I told him the story on how I discovered him. And I was like, I think in fourth grade, I was at the library and I got yelled <laughs> you at. wanted a go, sci-fi book. <laughs> well, and I, I got yelled at by the librarian and said, go find a book and you're going to mm. read it by next weekend or you're going to get suspended. Cause yeah, I was uh-huh. a bit of a troublemaker. So I was like, all right, uh-huh. touche. So I go walking over there and I look and I see a book. I was like, oh, this looks like Star Wars. Okay. And I read it and it was like my all-time favorite book, mad props to that librarian for really creative punishment. <laughs> But I started laughing because I didn't even know what the book was. I just said, Mm -hmm. oh, spaceship. Okay, I'll read that. And that that was it. And they know publishing companies know this. So just a little blurb and all of that can be backed up with data and heat maps and things like that. And that's that's generally what we like to do at Kindlepreneur. It reminds me of the story I heard about the music industry where they started using AI to predict what songs were really going to take off. And so there was this song. I can't remember what it is. I'm not up on pop music, but... The, all the algorithms said it was going to be the best song. And so they really pushed a ton of marketing behind it. And then the radio listeners didn't like it because it was a little bit too outside of the familiar. Mm-hmm. So what they ended up doing is they played Celine Dion and then they played the song. And like within two weeks, the song was up in the charts because it needed something familiar to back it up with. And I think that's what you're telling us with book covers and everything else. It, it's fine to be original to an extent, but then you need to lock that in and ground it with something that people are going to recognize. Exactly. Especially for a new author. Like, hey, if you see the name Stephen King, you know what to expect. But when you're an author mm-hmm. and there's nothing associated with your name, I need to know that this is the right kind of book for me. And that's really the major process of online shopping is familiarity and feeling like this is like the kind of thing that you want. That's how shoppers shop. But needless to say, that's just one of the side things. Um, But I, I, as you can tell, I I just absolutely love 
analyzing the book shopping market, you know, and why mm -hmm. people do what they do and why Amazon responds the way they respond. Yeah, well, and I love that there are people like you because I'm okay with data to a point, but I'm never going to want to dig into it as deeply as you do or as people at Kalytics do. So I'm glad that, <laughs> that you all exist to kind of parse through that for us. Yeah, it's, it's and, and even more so is not just to parse through the data, but then translate it to actionable steps. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I want to take us on another tangent. You mentioned, you know, one of the cardinal sins being the cover. Do you have any others off the top of your head that you want to jump on if I handed you a soapbox Ooh. real quick? Sure. Um, one cardinal sin that I would, if I wrote my list of cardinal sins, uh -huh. <laughs> which that's not a bad uh, article. Idea. Not a bad article. Well, there you go. <laughs> um, most authors and authors deny they do this, but they all know they do this. Um, they write their book, they go to publish their book, then they get to the part where they write their book description and they throw something down. Like, right, I mean, we're talking sure. like spend little to no time mm -hmm. on that thing. The data shows that book descriptions make a huge difference on your conversion rate and yeah. they should not be that last minute thing. As a matter of fact, I like to work on my book description the day I decide to write the book. Mm -hmm. And the, the way I do that is every time you talk to someone, they're like, oh, what do you write? And they're like, mm. I always start with, instead of saying what I write, I start taking, well, actually one of the latest books I'm writing on is, uh -huh. and I start telling a book description and I look for their eyes to see whether or not they're hooked or not. Um, so speeding through and creating a book description, super bad cardinal rule. Um, mm -hmm. Another cardinal rule I would say is just guessing at your keywords. You know, when you right. go to select your keywords and just saying, oh, here's a couple of phrases. Look, if you don't know how to best position if you don't know how to best describe your book to help amazon show your book to shoppers mm -hmm. from day one amazon's not going to help you to send anybody to your book and right. your entire book launch is going to be dependent on the efforts you did to grab people and bring them to your book instead of letting amazon naturally bring people to your book so mm -hmm. do not show up to your keyword section and just start writing anything yeah I love that. How often do you think you would recommend that authors look at their keywords? Because maybe somebody did research two and a half years ago and got great keywords back then. Mm -hmm. Is there, you have a, a good feel for the Amazon algorithms and how quickly things change. How often do you think it is, or is it important to look back at old keywords? Yeah, I actually wrote an article on exactly this and it's how to change your Kindle keywords. And if you type that mm -hmm. into Google, you'll be able to get a more step-by-step -step process on it. But a general gist is this, is that when you do change your keywords about within 24 hours, Amazon responds. And the truth of the matter is, is majority of authors that even when they do it, they'll see a bump in sales. Like it's kind of weird. Mm -hmm, it's like, mm -hmm. now granted, if you're not doing it right, you'll see a bump in sales and then it goes back to nothing or wherever right. it was. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, in the, but that being said, if you approach changing your keywords in a systematic way, you may discover something really cool. Uh, what I like to do is I change two boxes at a time and I monitor mm -hmm. my sales for mm -hmm. the next three to four days. And I see if actually, you know, you, you might see a bump, yeah. but then I like to see where it settles at. Mm -hmm. You may see that it bumps and then it settles at a much better. Sweet. Hey, one of those two boxes really helped you. Right. Then you go to another two boxes and you just kind of keep doing that. And you cycle through. Uh, if you notice that it drops, then hey, put the old ones back in because clearly those were doing something for you, which is awesome to know, by the way, especially if you write in series. I mean, mm -hmm. if you write the first book in a series and you see that that keyword was really helpful, right. use that use one. Use it throughout, um, right. Exactly. So 
I like to use that process to kind of discover, but we have definitely noticed that when you do change your seven Kindle keywords, um, there is an immediate response. Um, sometimes not, but it's a real quick thing. Um, so yeah, if you have dead book sales, that's one way to do it. Um, I'm actually writing a full article on what to do if your book sales die. Uh, you know, say you wrote a really good book, but the problem is, is that you did your entire promotion, everything was fine. And then over time, it just petered out. Mm -hmm. There are some steps that authors can take to really pump that back up and uh, get it in front. And one of those steps is changing your keywords. Wonderful. Love that. So I've got a funny story I'll start with before my next question. So we went to visit my grandparents and my grandpa was celebrating his 98th birthday. And my kids oh, wow. were there with us. Nice. And so I asked him while the kids are there, I said, you know, grandpa, you've lived through so many amazing things in history and have seen so much change. What would you say is like the thing that's responsible in your lifetime for the biggest change in history or society or culture? And he just laughed. He said, oh, the technology, like he's a man of very few words. <laughs> I'm like, grandpa, that doesn't help us. <laughs> so if I were to ask you, like looking back over the, how long has Kindle been around? Maybe 12 years or so? Yeah. Um, if you were to look back, what would you say are maybe like the top, I don't know, two to four bird's eye view changes and kind of what can that teach us if we look at the changes that have already happened? Do you have some projections about what authors can be ready for in the future? Well, that's a good question. I, I think one of the things that was surprising or very beneficial to authors was when Amazon created Amazon ads. Um, mm -hmm. You know, sure. this was a direct way for you to basically say, hey, Amazon, I really want you to show me here and I'm willing to pay you for every person you convince to not only see it, but click on it. Right. That's a lot of power that was given to authors. Um, I mean, before it was kind of like the whole hope that you do things right and exactly. make sure yeah. that you show up, you know, and do a rain and you, dance and hope that Amazon notices you or something like and that. And you hope for a book bub feature deal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You yep. know, you cross your fingers, you know, you wear your lucky socks and all that. But this exactly. was the first time that we were able to gain control. The other thing that I really like about Amazon ads is that once you set them up and you're working them, you're empowering your book to have constant sales. Okay. Right. And consistent sales is one way to is is actually this is a big part of that article I was talking about. But consistent mm -hmm. sales is another way to keep your book alive in Amazon's eyes. The moment that they stop seeing sales coming in is the moment they stop showing you. Uh, Amazon's all about showing the right product to the right customer. And if mm -hmm. customers aren't purchasing it, then clearly this is not the right product anymore. Right. Um, whereas keeping that increases what I'm calling the popularity effect, which gets Amazon to keep showing you. So I think Amazon ads was a very big one. It also helped me to understand a bit more what's going on because through Amazon ads, I can see that, you know, numbers that I like, like, mm -hmm. hey, Amazon showed my book 100,000 times, but only two people clicked on it. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Like now I know that right. 100,000 people saw my book cover and not, and only two stopped what they were doing to even like click on it. Like, okay, that's a good information. Or mm -hmm. I had a thousand people click on my book, but only two people bought it. Clearly I'm right. not convincing them to uh, buy the book, aka my book description really needs a big change. Um, you know, that needs to be improved. That's also how I discovered how important book descriptions were was when right. I saw the numbers, you know, mm -hmm. I literally changed the book description on one and tripled the conversion rate overnight. You know, it was like, wow, I was yeah. now 
three times more people were buying that came to the to the book page than before. And that made my email marketing that more effective. That made my Facebook ads that much more effective. Right. That made all the other efforts that much more effective. And I just used to think, ah, not do people really read the full book description? And uh -huh. it turns out they do. Exactly. Yeah. No, Amazon ads were a big game changer for me too. That's kind of how my writing took off. I think I had already had, you know, a dozen books at that point, but I was publishing the same number of books every year and my income was just flatlined for yeah. a while. And then Amazon ads came around and I didn't have to do the rain dance and help for book bug feature deals and, and that kind of thing. Right. Um, you know, before I used to look at online book marketing as kind of like a balloon with a hole in it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Where if you, if you huff and puff, you'll keep that balloon up. But the yeah. moment you stop huffing and puffing, the moment it just mm -hmm. deflates. And right. so a lot of authors got themselves in the situation where they were spending more time on marketing a book than writing the next book. And not many authors really want to be in that situation. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas Amazon ads was a very good way to keep the, the balloon pumped up over right. time for consistent sales so that you can then build out your arsenal, if you will, or your assets, aka your mm -hmm. books, so that you're not your doubling, tripling your income rate instead of, you know, juggling multiple balls. Yeah, in the doing air. more and more work to keep your sales about the same. That's yep. a frustrating place to be. And a lot of authors are in kind of that treadmill of you're working and working and working and you're not getting any farther. You're just staying at that kind of plateau. Exactly. Yeah. What would be some of the other looking back big, big shifts in the ebook world? Well, I mean, the ebook, I wouldn't say there are a lot of big shifts. Uh, there's mm -hmm. always been some changes, subtle changes that Amazon's done here and there. Um, but in truth, the, the market itself is, and you know, a lot of people might disagree with me, but the market itself is pretty consistent. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes you have new technology like Amazon ads. Sometimes right. you have new software that comes out like Rocket that gives more mm -hmm. insight. Um, sometimes you have, you know, uh, experts that create really good courses that help to figure out these systems. Yeah. But all in all, Amazon does slight tweaks. I mean, if you think about it, that that particular book market does not want to change that quickly because things are going good. Mm -hmm. Amazon likes to make calculated small adjustments. You know, uh, we, they used to show all the categories that a book was a part of, then they deemed that was a waste of space. And so now they only show three. Mm -hmm. They used to show the entire category string. Then they were like, that's ah, a waste of space. Nobody's using that. Let's just show the category name. You yeah. know, um, just little tiny things like that. But it takes months before they roll them out. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I talk to authors about Facebook ads, some of them really wants to send people to their own website. And that's always my answer. Amazon has done so much more testing about what makes a sales page convert really well. You're never going to out-convert an Amazon sales page. Right. I once read that they spent millions of dollars just to figure out the right button color for the checkout page. I'm not you know? surprised. <laughs> and so clearly that's a, that's a good <laughs> yeah. color to use maybe. Most um, authors aren't going aren't gonna to pump a million dollars into a button on their website. <laughs> no. But that's the thing is, is that they're always trying to find ways to convert. I mean, if they can increase their conversion rate by 0.01%, we're talking mm -hmm. millions and millions of dollars sure. more. So yeah. they're clearly going to do that. So, yeah. Well, I follow your email newsletter and I believe it was one of them where you were talking about 
think it must have been Amazon ads. This is a while back, so you can correct me if I'm getting it wrong. But what you said, it, it really stood out. Amazon's going to do what's best for Amazon. And in yeah. terms of, you know, what kind of changes they roll out. And, you know, a lot of authors think of Amazon as the enemy. But then again, Amazon's paying the bills. It's paying the rent. It's, you know, so I like to look at it more of a, yeah, Amazon's going to do what's best for Amazon. And if that means that I'm going to sell more books, let's jump on that and do it. Yeah, exactly. The thing is, is that Amazon cares most about their customers. Mm -hmm. We authors are a product. Our books are a product. Yeah. Amazon wants to make sure customers happy. And sometimes that's, that's to the chagrin of the author. Sometimes it's not as beneficial to us. Um, and that's just kind of the world you you have to kind of play within. Uh, but as an Amazon shopper, I've appreciated a lot of their moves. (laughs) Exactly. Yep, exactly. Well, looking forward now with with all of the trends that you've seen and you've been around and you've got a really good pulse on the industry, what kinds of expectations do you think if an author wants to be really well set up in the next one to three years to kind of stay on top of what the market's doing? Do you have any projections about changes coming or ways that we can be prepared for whatever's around the corner? No, but I am going to give a, a, a recommendation and it wasn't a cardinal rule per se, but it is one of my favorite recommendations to authors and that's start your email list as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't care if you haven't published your book yet, set up your email list. And I regret, I, I, I hate email. My team knows that. Like I just uh-huh. email with a passion. Uh-huh. Um, you have no idea how much anxiety, even years of writing them, I get over writing one email. So uh, uh-huh. needless to say, uh, I wasted lots of years of not doing email. I Mm -hmm. can't tell you how important and how much money the email list has made over the years. It makes marketing your next book that much easier because your first book, maybe it only got a hundred people to sign up, but guess what? Those are a hundred people that not only purchased your book, but they then read it. And then they were like, Mm -hmm. Oh, I want more from this person. They're phenomenal. But then the second book comes out. Maybe you get now 300. Now you've got 400 total. Then the yeah. third book, and it just keeps stacking. What's really awesome about this is the bigger you make that, um, the more engaged that you keep it, uh, just the easier book marketing gets. For you sure. still don't have to be famous. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be you know, having giant lines of people coming to sign your book. Mm-hmm. You just send out an email and you, you, it just, there's more just and more happens. that comes. It just happens. Uh, so right. if you're true, if you believe that you're going to write more than one book, then 100% set up your email list. And I would even say to authors too, to go one step further and think of a very great way to convince people to come over and join your email list. Um, do not, uh, do not write a short, random short story and put it on there. Nobody cares. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, one of my biggest recommendations is to write a short story that connects to the book they just read. All right. If it's fiction, mm-hmm. write a prelude, a post-credit scene. Yeah. I mean, let's face it, post-credit scenes are like one of my favorite parts of watching a movie. So why not create a post-credit scene or an inside or a side story? That's like an inside joke that the characters mm-hmm. know, but you don't know yet. Um, I'm going to be way more likely to not only sign up for your email list, but then read the thing you have. Now I've read two of your stuff. I'm much closer to being a super fan than I was at just one. And so I think that that's a really important step. And if you do that, that's great. If you're a nonfiction, think of very useful ways to do things. I personally love the idea of setting up a free course 
mm-hmm. um, you know, call it a companion course. And you can record and put it on something like Thinkific where you can set that up for free. Um, and then in order for people to get access to the companion course, they just have to sign up with their email. What's awesome is, is that that's a phenomenal marketing effort because now you can put on the cover of the book, free companion course, but you right. can put it in the book description. Uh, and so now if I'm looking between your book and somebody else's and somebody mm-hmm. else's is just a book, but yours is a book and a course, yeah. major value. I'm going with that one. And so now you get, you increase your conversion rate, you increase the conversion rate of people who sign up for your email list. You mm-hmm. have people listening and learning from you. Uh, that's just an incredible way. And your email list will grow dramatically. For sure. Do you have strong opinions on the debate about organic versus doing big promotions to grow your list? Uh, I think that both mm-hmm. uh, go hand in hand. Um, I, I have an article that I wrote, but I haven't published yet called the popularity effect. And uh, I did an analysis of looking at what happens when you do a big promotion and you have either free sales, you know, free downloads, or uh, what happens when you do a promotion site or a book bub deal or something like that, and how that affects Amazon and how they rank you. And what I found was, is that the more popular you show your book through some other effort, whether it's mm-hmm. ads, whether it's an email list, whether it's a promotion, whatever, uh, Amazon indexes your book for more keywords. Mm. And then they they start analyzing to see how well you do. And if you show consistent sales at that point, then they just kind of keep increasing the keywords that you rank for automatically until you hit a point where you're like at the point of no return. They, they have their own way. Mm-hmm. And so I have all these this data that shows that a promotion can help with organics. Um, and organics is always just a great thing. So, because, right. you know, organics is while you're writing the next book, your other book, your previous book is making mm-hmm. sales. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's great. Well, let's, let's shift gears a touch. You've talked a lot about all the articles you've got. I've mentioned just how useful your newsletter is. So can you let people know if they're not kind of in your ecosystem of trainings for authors, some of the ways that they could kind of get into your audience and, and have all of this wonderful data at their disposal? Sure. Uh, well, you can either go to kindleprinter.com and there's a sign up right there at the top. Uh, or if you Google book description generator, I have this free tool that allows an author to build beautiful book descriptions. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of like things you can do to a book description on Amazon, HTML coding and make it look really awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, this tool makes it super easy. You write your book description, you highlight things, you click and what you see right there is exactly what it's gonna look like on Amazon. When you got it looking the way you want, click get my code. Um, that's absolutely free. You don't have to sign up for that. And you just copy that code and paste it right in Amazon and your book description looks the way you saw it. That being said though, right there on the tool, I have a sign up where you can sign up for my book description formula. It's a free oh, cool. PDF. It's one of my favorite PDFs I ever created that breaks down the structure to the perfect nonfiction and the perfect fiction book description. And I highly recommend checking that out. That will really, really help you with those conversions we talked about. Wonderful. What's going to be your advice for the author who just hates anything that even resembles being formulaic, but still want to make good sales? Well, like we talked about with the book covers, Mm -hmm. um, it's not so much about, you know, like, it's, it's super rare to be super unique and have yeah. that have a great effect on the market that doesn't mm-hmm. know you. 
Um, Whereas there are proven things through data and through historical information that shows that this, this converts the best when you do these sorts of things. Now, this isn't to say that, you know, it has the exact sentences you need to use, but what it does is it helps as a guideline show you how you should put together your book description. Um, Case in point, you know, uh, most of the book descriptions that I read, read like book reports. Right. Yeah. It's just a synopsis. Right. Here's the synopsis with lots of information. And by the end of it, I'm like, okay, well, why read the book? I basically have read 75% of it. I know it's coming. (laughs) Yep. Instead, authors need to think of them almost like a movie trailer. You know, let's Mm. face it. The movie trailers that don't give away the ending. Um, There's been a couple of those bad boys. But most of the time, they set the tone and then they introduce one character, um, you know, and that they show things and they, you know, they ramp it up with, you know, Mm big explosions or you know big movements like they're selecting the right scenes to show someone and we with our book descriptions need to hook them at the beginning we need to make them feel that this is their kind of book that they're looking for we do not need to overload them with with uh information i say never introduce more than two characters try to hit yeah, that's one. a good advice yeah you know uh i've i've read too many where by the time i'm done with the paragraph i forgot who the main character is and that's yeah. a problem um mm-hmm. And then end with a strong statement that that concludes. Um, and you know, nonfiction has their own as well. These things are really strong guidelines to help you form the right kind of book description that will connect with your audience. Awesome. Yeah, I love that you're like I said, your your resources are so useful, and there's so much free information that you're giving to us and we a lot of us are relying on you to to let us know what's coming up because not all of us dive into the data like you do so i really appreciate what you do and how generous you are in sharing all that information and then yeah you've got some great software which i know you'd mentioned it once but for anybody who's not familiar i've been using the publisher rocket probably since like 2017 18 when i started amazon ads so i it does a lot of things <laughs> what i use it for is finding keywords for my amazon ads but it helps with categories it helps with uh what's what's the elevator because i like I said i just use it for the ams keywords but i know it does quite a few other things yeah well when selecting your seven kindle keyword phrases it not only tells you what people type into amazon it also tells you how many people per month type it in so it can really nice. help you with your organic discoverability Uh, With regards to categories, there's over 14,000 Amazon categories, and there's nowhere where Amazon actually shows you those categories. Uh, We do. We have the list of all of them. And for those thinking, well, when I go to publish my book, though, don't they have that list that pops up? Those are actually BISACs. Um, Mm -hmm. And we won't go down that detail, but BISACs are like a standard code. Mm -hmm. um, And there's only 4,700 of them. So 4,700 is what most authors get put into but right. there's 14,000 categories on Amazon. And with that, on Publisher Rocket, you can see all 14,000. We'll help you exactly select the right ones. And then on top of that, we even tell you how many books a day you would need to sell in order to be the new number one bestseller in that category. Oh, so nice. combine those things together, you're going to have a really powerful way to select your 10 categories. And by the way, you can select 10, and we have a how-to step to get Amazon to put you in all 10. So there's that component. Uh, We also help you to analyze other books so you can see how much money they're making, how they're doing, uh, where they are. 
and we've got a whole bunch of new features coming out and anybody who buys rocket as you've seen always gets updates and new features mm-hmm. free. yeah well and i also love you know so many things for authors it's software with recurring feeds and like you add all those oh, up yeah. and it's like yeah, yeah sure i'll sign up for ten dollars a month i'll sign up for twenty dollars a month so i love that you're giving us things for you pay for it once for a yep. really decent price and then you don't have to worry again Exactly. Just one time, $97. That's it. You get unlimited updates, new features, you name it. And like I said, if you were, if you were around from like 2017, you've seen a lot of changes over a lot time. of updates. Yeah. We're just always looking for ways to improve. And, yeah, no, it's been great. And you've got more software that just came out for formatting your eBooks. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, kind of my starter point is that when I first started writing, I used Scrivener. Um, that was like 2007, Mm -hmm. uh, back when like it first came out Yeah. and my take on Scrivener is it really helps with writing. Um, but even over 14 years of using it, I've never actually figured out how to really use it. And I, (laughs) I paid for courses before, um, Mm -hmm. you know, Joe Nicoletti's learn Scrivener fast and a couple of Udemy courses. And I'm like, Oh, okay. And then I totally forget how to do the thing I just watched. Like, I feel like you have to study you know, uh-huh. like it's a test to figure out. Steep oh, learning that's curve, how you... I've heard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the other thing is, is that Scrivener has a way to format books, but there's even courses on how to use it to format and it's not intuitive, mm-hmm. nor is it easy. Yeah. So we as authors, especially if you're using Scrivener, you use Scrivener, then you have to export to Word document. Okay. Then you go back and forth with your editor with Word document. Okay. Uh-huh. Or if you're lucky and you got one that will accept Google Docs, that's cool. Cause then you don't have to go back and forth, back and forth, mm-hmm. but you know, mm-hmm. there's, it's not as good as Word. So then right. you got that problem. Then when you're finally done, you have to upload it to some formatting software. Okay. Yeah. Um, the, the most popular of all is Vellum, which uh, only works on Mac. Uh, so PC users, you got to either get a Mac or you have to do Google or Mac cloud and then somehow mm-hmm. connect it, you know, through a bridge yep. and yeah. it's really painful. It's, and it's a very expensive software. The point though is, is that for the author, we already listed a lot and I'm not even including outlining software or anything. Yeah, You mm-hmm. have to use a lot of different software or you're kind of piecing things together to kind of make it work. And for me, that's always been a problem, especially by the end of it. I have like seven or eight files on my computer that say final document, oh, final, I know. final, final <laughs> edit. No, this is the yep. final. This is the one that the editor approved. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and, and then I've actually in the past, formatted and published the wrong version because I forgot. Yep. It was not the final, final. This is the final, whatever it said. Right. turns out that was the final that I wrote, not got edited. So (laughs) the entire editing. So I actually had to pay for a formatter uh, to reformat, which cost me, that was a very expensive mistake on my part. And I was not happy Mm -hmm. about that. Um, And so for me, I've always wondered, is there a way to create one that combines them all? Okay. Mm -hmm. And so this is where Atticus.io was created. Now, as a software, it's very hard to build a Scrivener and a Google Doc and a Vellum all in one. Um, And by the way, my goal is to make it where, and I always tell people, if Scrivener, Google Doc and Vellum got together and had a baby, this is what we're creating. That's what it would be. (laughs) Exactly. That's exactly what we're doing. But what we're starting off with is that we're first starting with formatting and writing. Okay. And so what makes Vellum so loved by the author community, uh, we've made that. We've made mm-hmm. that happen, except we're also adding more customizations and capabilities because one of the things that a lot of people complain about with Vellum is you can always tell a Vellum book because they all look the same. Right, um, right. 
we're we're working with a whole bunch of companies, uh, Bookbrush and uh, Draft to Digital, like so you can easily work with companies you like. Um, nice. But yeah, but imagine right now what we have is Vellum, but cheaper, works on Mac, PC, Linux, all of it, uh -huh. and a uh, hundred dollars, you know, cheaper than than them. And so we're starting with that, and you can absolutely write your books on it. But soon we're going to have like analytics, gamification, um, character cool. cards, setting cards. So you're going to start to see those components that make Scrivener look great, except easier to understand. Right. I always tell my uh, development team, I'm like, hey, how many brain calories does somebody have to spend to figure that out? Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm mm -hmm. like, too many. So right. figure out how we get rid of that. You but know, it's and so simpler, we're wonderful. Exactly. And then finally, the big, the big thing that I'm really excited about is online collaboration. So imagine that here you are using your Scrivener, but you can collaborate with another author. Uh, yeah. In this case, you and the other author can write at the same exact time. The other thing is, is that we want collaboration with editors. So say, instead of having to uh, export to Word and go back and forth mm -hmm. or make an editor buy Atticus, what right. you can do is you can send them a link. And when they open that, it will have them open up a free editor version online. Cool. And it will literally look and act just like Word document on editing. Because I've also learned too that editors don't like to learn new things. Learning and new so stuff, they yeah. Have their way. yeah. That's wonderful. So they open up, they can do exactly like Word doc, and you can accept their changes from your Atticus and immediately it gets applied. So, like I said, that's pretty much it. It is um, Scrivener, Google Docs, and Vellum got together and had a baby. And named it after my favorite literary dad. So, extra point for that. <laughs> Ah, Atticus Finch. Yes. You know, that was a little fun fact on that. Um, I too love Atticus. Uh -huh. And when I started to do my research to kind of understand how many Atticuses there were, because let's face it, you don't ever want right. to land something and then find out, well, actually yeah. it's good here, right. but it's bad there. Uh, right. what, what we found was, and this was like the thing that totally made me fall in love with it, was that Titus Atticus was one of the first ever publishers for the Roman Empire. And he saved the letters of Cicero and published them. And he saved a whole bunch of things from like Aristotle and others. Um, and so I was like, wow. So the two people I run into is an awesome mm -hmm. American character. Yeah. Literary works. Yeah. And one of the first and a publisher. legit publishers. Huh. Done. That's perfect. So I love that's what it. I went for. Well, yeah, it sounds great. And again, I just want to thank you for sharing so much of your wealth of insight with all of us who aren't as huge data heads as you are. <laughs> and thank you for spending time with us today. Absolutely. And thanks for having me. All right. Talk to you soon.